and that goes back to the point you were making too. Normally your tourniquets on your vest when it's in the car, you have it in the glove box. It was not on your vest that night, was it? No, it was not. So I, as soon as I got shot and, and miles was returning fire over my head, I thought, man, I got to get out of here. Cause I didn't know if crossfire was happening. I had no idea. So I hobble out, I fall between two cars because I stepped off a curb in my left and I just out of habit stepped on my left leg and it had not, the muscles weren't working. Um, <clears throat> and I went down between these two cars and I butt scooted back. And the whole time I'm, I'm yelling at the other guys that had, had ran from the door to get behind cover. I said, I need a tourniquet. I need a tourniquet. I've been hitting my femoral. And I kept yelling that because when I first went behind that door, I stuck my left hand down on my thigh and I've seen plenty of people shot. I've seen plenty of leg wounds. And when I felt that pool of blood in my hand, I knew it was different. I thought, oh man, there's an, <laughs> I just got shot in my artery. That's the first thing that went through my head. So I thought I got to get off my feet because I'm pumping blood and I got to get a tourniquet on this thing. Welcome to Game of Crimes. So let's let's stop there for a second because I want to add a little bit more context. How were you dressed that night? Um, what 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 things identified you as a cop? So I had on plain clothes, but we had our police vest on that said "police on the front, police on the back." Uh, yeah, that that's a that was one of the huge things. Oh, they were they were in just regular clothes. Well, sure we were, but we also had an outer carrier over that said "police," which is more identifiable than a guy in uniform, in my opinion. You know, you got the little bitty badge here; it doesn't say "police" on it. Um, so we were, we were all vested up, uh, proper protocol there. And when, when that door came open, aside from him hearing, aside from seeing us, I don't know what more he needed to, to visualize that we were the police. And when you moved to the right, and if you were standing where Kenneth Walker was and you were looking forward, would you have been able to see the vest and the word police where yes. you were at? Yes, absolutely. Well, we were in a, there was a, uh, um, a, a, porch light out where we were. So I'm assuming we were lit up enough to see it. I can't verify it. Maybe what when I turned lighting? my flashlight, it was dark in the house. Okay. The only thing I could see was the ambient blue light coming from the TV in their bedroom. Um, so maybe he couldn't see us. You know, I always try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I honestly do. Because maybe when my light came around to his eyes, he couldn't see us. I have no idea. Um, but the fact that him saying he did not hear we were the police is just, there's no way. There's just no way possible. Well, you've got the boom of the breaching tool, the ram, you know, hitting the door. Plus, you got people yelling "police." So, um, I'm not trying to be flippant, but there's no indication that this guy was deaf, was he? No, no, not at all. Okay. Um, so, when you said you saw that gun and then the shots fired, what happens? What happens at that point? Well, I immediately returned four shots. So, as soon as mine hit, you know, the action reaction. There's that little bit of gap, but I immediately returned four four shots. And as I'm doing that, Kenneth Walker, there's where he was standing, there was an insert in the wall that led to a second bedroom. Um, and as soon as he shot, he dove left and left Rihanna in the hallway. Well, she attempted to follow him into that room. And when she did, she ran into the path of the bullets because her feet, from where she was originally standing to where her feet are in the in the photographs of the crime scene, they are almost out of the way. She almost made it. There, her feet are halfway into the 
the area that we couldn't see down the hall. And then she fell back. Um, so, you know, the cowardice of him to number one, if he thought he was getting home invaded, why wouldn't you tell her to stay in there and call 911? We were at the door for or a minute. stand in front of her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead, he he chose the easy way out, shot, dove behind a wall, and uh, left, left her unfortunately there because you know she grew up in a horrible environment her dad was in prison her mom didn't raise her her grandma did uh, her grandma's dead now so i'm sure she's like every other woman we see out here that these dope dealers take advantage of where they they come in they see these women that have these issues and they want to be their hero you know they throw money at them they throw quote love at them but they have four other women they're loving and and they use them and I, that's that's what was happening here yeah, what else could explain the fact is that she had a current boyfriend, but uh, uh, Glover is still coming over there doing packages with her. She's bonding him out. I mean, uh, you, you hate to say it, but you know, when you know this too, you go to domestic violence incidents and stuff, there are some women who are more afraid of being alone than they are being abused. And so they're willing to put up with the abuse. Um, and, and I remember a couple of times getting attacked myself when we went to arrest the husband hmm. and I get attacked by the wife oh, because yeah. domestics are dangerous. Yeah. Horrible. Worst, one of the worst things. Well, this is kind of that domestic. So who's the, are you the first one in the door then when this happens, the breacher stands back and you're the first one in the door. Yeah. And no, none of us ever made it across the threshold because as soon as I stepped in the threshold, that's when the shots began. Uh, I got off four rounds. I got behind the, the door because, you know, you're trained, shoot, get off center. So I went to the left, got behind the door frame, came back around and shot into the door frame where he dove into. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I hate to say this, but unfortunately we missed him. Um, I wish we hadn't. I wish he'd been shot and not her since he's the one that shot. Uh, but that's just the way it is. Um, and, it, you know, to go back to Brianna, you know, I do think she was – a victim in some of this by, by the guys who she surrounded herself with. But at the same time, you know, they put this picture of her as an award-winning EMT, right? Well, she never even got out of, of training phase. She was not an award-winning EMT. She was in training phase. And there's a lot of things that I can't disclose that the reason she was fired, she got fired from, from that job, put on the no rehire list, um, during the period that she was an EMT, there was she had rented a vehicle and there was a dead body found that had been uh, shot in the head, found in that car. Uh, she claimed the car was stolen, didn't know anything about it, even though that guy was part of their circle that they ran around, around with. So a lot of things that, that she put herself in very, very bad situations, poor decisions uh, that led us down this path. You know, look, anytime there's a loss of life, you don't want that to happen. Sometimes you don't make, sometimes as they say in war, the enemy gets a vote. Sometimes the bad guy gets a vote. You know, it's not always goes that way. And again, the purpose of this is not to um, try and paint Brianna Taylor into a corner and say, well, she's bad. Might have very well been a good person. I know nothing about her. I'm not trying to claim things, but I think that, again, this goes back to context. We have to understand context. At some point, though, you're an adult. At some point, you are making adult decisions. At some point, you have to decide, do I stay involved in this kind of stuff or do I extricate myself from this? And if your choice is not to leave, if or if your decision is to make no decision, you've still made a decision because you're continuing to place yourself in that situation. And you know and I know, Murph, we were talking about this. What, what happens to cartel members, dope dealers, gangsters? They, they either die or they go to prison. There is right. no retirement program in this business. Right. And there's, there's one thing that, um, I hope our later, our listeners will get your book, John, and, uh, and read your side of the story. <clears throat> it's one of those books that once you start reading, you can't put it down. Uh, it's just, 
what you've gone through, and we're going to get through some of that here, but right at the beginning, when you start talking about Brianna, and you say this several times throughout the book, she is a victim. You know, it's it's a shame that she was killed that night because she wasn't armed. But as we also talk about Morgan, we try to teach our children this. There are consequences for every decision you make, good or bad. And her, unfortunately, she was victimized not by the Louisville police, not by you guys, but by Kenneth Taylor, by Jamarcus Glover, by all the other criminals that are associated with the, with uh, Glover's association or organization there. So that's that's you know, like you said, Morgan, we're not here to to criminalize Brianna. Nope. We just want both sides of the story heard because that's not what happened in Louisville, Kentucky after this incident. Well, and I think the crime is it's been a one-sided narrative about a lot of stuff. And that's, uh, you know, we're about, look, hey, we've had bad guys on this podcast. You know, we've had people mm-hmm. who have done, look, George Young, there's no doubt he probably killed a couple folks. You know, mm-hmm. you had Kenneth Rijok, you had Luis Navia. We've had people who are legitimate OGs and bad guys on here, and we don't give them a break. Michael Franzese, Capo Regime with the Colombo crime family, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they've made, they all, the one thing in common they all have, they say, look, we made poor decisions and we paid for it. They did their time, you know, they go to prison. And so all we want to do is put out the information, give the facts. So let's, let's go back to that for a second, because um, y- you just weren't shot at, you ended up getting shot. Yeah. So uh, it went through my left thigh and uh, tore through the femoral artery. Um, thank God they had a tourniquet on scene and were able to, somebody actually paid attention during training. And that goes back to the point you were making too. Normally your tourniquet's on your vest when it's in the car, you have it in the glove box. It was not on your vest that night, was it? No, it was not. So I, as soon as I got shot and and Miles was returning fire over my head, I thought, man, I got to get out of here because I didn't know if crossfire was happening. I had no idea. So I hobble out, I fall between two cars because I stepped off a curb in my left, and I just out of habit stepped on my left leg and it had no, the muscles weren't working. Um, <clears throat> and I went down between these two cars and I butt scooted back. And the whole time I'm, I'm yelling at the other guys that had, had ran from the door to get behind cover. I said, I need a tourniquet. I need a tourniquet. I've been hitting my femoral. And I kept yelling that because when I first went behind that door, I stuck my left hand down on my thigh and I've seen plenty of people shot. I've seen plenty of leg wounds. And when I felt that pull of blood in my hand, I knew it was different. I thought, oh man, there's an, <laughs> I just got shot in my artery. That's the first thing that went through my head. So I thought I got to get off my feet because I'm pumping blood and I got to get a tourniquet on this thing. Where was the wound? Give us an idea between the knee and the crotch there. Where did the, where, where were you hit at? It was in my, it went through my left front pocket because I had a front pocket wallet and that actually diverted it just enough to not hit my femur bone, which was, could have splintered and you know, retracted that, that artery up into my, to my hip. So, um, it was pretty high, um, about crotch. Le- it was crotch level is what it was just to the, to the left of it. And so, uh, that's a tough place for a wound too. When you talk about putting a tourniquet on, man, oh, that it, is, all the way up. it was all yeah. the way up in the, in the crease of my, of my uh, leg. And, um, yeah, cause so the bullet itself didn't really hurt. It was, I guess, from ripping through the nerves, it was in my groin area and my lower up, my lower back on that side, because I thought a bullet was lodged in there. And while they're putting this tourniquet on, I said, get a knife and cut my pants to make sure you're high enough, because I thought there was another wound, because the pain didn't hurt where the bullet hole was. Did and you immediately so, know you'd been shot, or did it take a couple seconds oh, no, to register? I knew immediately. Yeah, okay. it was instant. Uh, I felt like a little sledgehammer hit my leg, and it did, like I said, it didn't really hurt. It just... My leg kind of went out, you know, it quit working. The muscle did. Um, so 
my lieutenant was the first one to grab my vest and pull me out. He didn't have a tourniquet on him either. And, you know, lucky lieutenant even has a gun on him. But he he grabbed his belt off, his regular belt. And again, that doesn't work like the movies, man. There was so much blood. The other guy came up and was stepping on my leg, pulling it. And it's it, it was still coming out. So finally, the guy with the tourniquet came up. They got it out. They got it on. And uh, they got they got it stopped. Let me tell you. I would take getting shot in my leg again over having to wear that tourniquet again for 35, 40 minutes. I think it was 42 minutes is when I wore it. Horrible pain. That tourniquet is no joke, man. That's the worst pain I've ever had in my life. But pain is a diagnostic tool. It means you're still alive. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> because when my pain... thought was get a tourniquet on so I live and then get me to the hospital so I save my leg. That was my that was my thought process this whole time. And, and two two people I want to point out here. One was Tony James. He's the guy that provided the tourniquet and applied yes. it right and Excellent. Miles, you mentioned Miles Cosgrove, who actually protected you after you'd been shot, right? Correct. Stepped over on top of you and, and started laying down uh, cover fire to get you out of there. Yeah, and that poor guy's been through it since then. Demonized, got fired from his job for it, which is what we're trained to do. You know, it's it's just ridiculous the the pawns they they treat you know police officers as. Yeah, yeah. All right, sorry. So, so the minute you're hit, you you come down. You you're hit, but you return four shots before you're out of action, right? Six total. Four immediately total? jump okay. behind the the thing, come out. So, but the six were within like probably two seconds, two or three seconds, very quick. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting extricated out. You're going back out, and now uh, you've got other officers returning fire. So, where's everybody else at in relation to you now? You got somebody firing over your head, right? Um, what happens? So Brett had come up behind Miles when the shot took place. He actually saw the the flash of the first shot, uh, Brett Hankison. When he did that, he realized he could not get to the door to be of any help because I was there, Miles was there. He immediately, instead of going and, and just hiding behind a car, he went around the front. And as he's coming around the front, that's when Miles is laying his barrage of shots down because he, he unloaded his whole magazine of 16 rounds. So uh, he's doing that as I'm leaving. Well, as I get between, as soon as I hit the the sidewalk, which had only been, I don't know, six seconds total from the time it started, seven maybe, Miles was done. There was like a, a half a second pause. And as I'm falling between these cars, I hear Brett starting to shoot. And, and in my mind, I'm going, holy crap, they're still shooting. That's what I thought. Even though it was very quick, I, because you could hear it was different shots because the echo from underneath that stairway and in that hallway, as opposed to outside to the right. So I knew it was different, different guns going off. Um, but I didn't know exactly what was going on because I was on my butt and, but it was over by the time before I even got to, to the end of the car, the shots were over. And that's where we get the title of the book, 12 seconds in the dark from that very first, from the time the door comes open to that last shot ends was no more than 12 seconds. And that was just a, a very hectic, um, you know, even though it went quick, it was very slow. I, it's hard to describe how it is that everything just kind of slowed down. And, and I recorded everything in my brain. I, I remember what people said because I remember right after Brett shot, he got on the radio and said, they've got a long rifle. And I'm laying there as they're cranking this tourniquet. And I yelled back and said, no, it was a pistol because that's all I saw. Now, I never got to her, even though they were overlapping, my field of vision never focused on her. I got to her, but didn't look at her. So I don't know if she ever had a gun because... Here's, here's the thing. After the shooting, Walker heard the sirens from the police because they responded fairly quick. He still didn't call 911. He would not surrender. He called his mother first. Then he called 911 over six minutes after the shooting. Then he called Brianna's mother. Almost 17 minutes later, he finally comes out. 
And when he does come out, he blames Brianna for shooting. He said it was her uh, that shot. Okay, so let's take a time out here for a second because the, the thing that pokes a hole right away, if I'm listening to this, see, Murph and I kind of have a system worked out too. I mean, I do, um, uh, he, he'll read the book. Um, a lot of times I'm listening to this for the first time. Um, and so I do it for a couple reasons. Number one, Murph sees some things that I don't see, but I hear some things. And the thing I heard is if, if it was true what Kenneth Walker said, he said he didn't know it was the police, then why didn't he, the minute he knew that it was the police, say, hey, stop, you know, I'm unarmed, you know, I quit. I call 911. You got to get some help in here for Brianna. Why does he do everything but call for help? I mean, he calls the mother. He, you know, like you say, he doesn't give up. He knows it's the police. How does he know it's the police and not a dope dealer? Because he's refusing to come out when being given lawful commands. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, 100%. Not only, not only that, Morgan, not only does he call his mother, he tells her the police are here. And that was based on a statement made to another police officer who happened to live in that apartment complex. Is that correct? Yeah. Not only did he live in the apartment complex, he was the courtesy officer there. He went to junior high school and high school with Kenneth Walker. They're still friends. He knows Kenneth's mother. He's been to their house. When when he heard the shots, he turned his radio on and heard a police was shot. He threw his uniform on and came outside and was standing on perimeter because all the chaos was over at this point. I was already gone. Kenneth Walker's mom shows up because he called her. She showed up to the scene. She sees this guy she knows, Donovan Duncan. She approaches him and says, this was, her, this was his statement in our public integrity under oath. He said she told him, uh, Kenneth called. She said, I don't know what's going on. Kenneth called and said, they're at the door. She said, I said, who's at the door, baby? He said, it's the police. I got to go and hung up. Now, So he had made a call during the time that you were knocking on the door before entry was made? That's what we don't know. And let me explain why we don't know it. So Brianna had a phone on her when she died. Kenneth had a phone on him when he came out. There's a third phone on the nightstand. When they got that, they couldn't get in the passcode of it. The FBI took it and did whatever they do with it. They won't give us any of the information that's on it. They won't tell us what happened. So our people only had the numbers of the two phones they had. They did. Wait, the, wait a minute. The yes. Bureau gets involved in this, seizes one of the phones, and will not give you evidence for a criminal investigation uh, that yeah. you guys need? Correct. And so it's a, it's a whole cluster. Oh, yeah. The, F, the FBI in this is just a joke. I mean, it's, it's sad the way things turn out. Um, so the two phones that they did find that, that LMPD took and the Attorney General. They, they obviously did the tolls on those phones and found out the order of these phone calls, just like Kenneth said, on those phones. Boom, boom, boom. You see the three calls on there. And it looked like even on the third call when he talked to Brianna's mother that his mom three-wayed in. So they had this two-and-a-half-minute conversation. What were they doing? Maybe given the narrative. I have no idea what they were doing. It sounds like they were setting a narrative up to me. Oh, I didn't know where they were the police. Just say that. How are they going to prove it? Which is true. How are you going to prove it? Um, so when that happens, uh, they get me to the hospital. Um, you know, they take me back to surgery. It was a five and a half hour surgery to, to repair this. Um, and I wake up and I remember waking up and I, I didn't know if anybody had been shot. And I looked at my wife and went, was anybody else hit? Because I had no idea. And she's like, yeah, a female was hit in the apartment. And she died. And my heart just sunk because as a cop, your worst fear is always shooting an innocent person or shooting at someone who deserves it and hitting someone in the background, something to that degree. And that's what I felt at that moment. And it was like, 
my goodness, you know, I just did the the one thing I feared my whole career. It wasn't criminals I feared. It wasn't getting shot I feared. It was this that I feared that just took place. And uh, I remember just that those emotions coming over, and it was just, it was not a good feeling. But did you know at the time when you fired, did you have an idea of where your shots went? They felt like they went straight. And the holes in the wall are right where he was standing. And some of his statements, like he said, after she got shot, I took her hand and and helped her to the floor. No, he didn't. He'd be dead because those holes were right where he was standing between there's three in the wall and two in the door frame. Um, so, you know, had he done the things he said, plus he had no blood on him. He comes out and he has no blood on him and there was blood everywhere. So if he, if you cradled her and held her and, and sat with her till she yeah. passed, you'd have blood on you. So he's just a liar. He's a coward and he's a liar is what he is. The other thing that's kind of interesting is that when this shooting goes on, you don't really end up executing the search warrant at this point. Right now, everything stops, right? Correct. So the scene, the scene's frozen. Our public integrity comes out who, who investigates uh, crimes and, and police shootings, and they took over the scene. They write their own search warrant for the, the, uh, the evidence. They come in, they bring our, our crime scene unit in, they collect ballistics, they take photos, they, you know, run the, the run the poles to see the angles of the bullets. You know, they do all the things they do on a crime scene. Um, they said they went through a few drawers and stuff looking just to see. I'm not sure what they were looking for. But if you've ever you've done dope warrants, you know, when you search, you search. You look under mattresses, you look up in crawl spaces, you look everywhere. Out, yeah, you look everywhere because they they've gotten so ingenious on hiding this stuff. And none of that took place. And at 7.30 in the morning, when, when Public Integrity released this scene, uh, one of the narc detectives said, okay, they're done. Can we go back to the scene now and, and do this warrant? The whole reason we were here. And it ran up the chain of command, and they were told, no, you're done for the day. It's over. <laughs> How high did that go? I think only to the, the major, the division level. I think it was just a bad call. Um, I don't think there was any ill intent behind that one. I think it was just... A long, crazy night that somebody made a mistake. Damn. Yeah, horrible. That's why you're there. Just just finish what you're doing, man. It's it's not that hard. And you know what? I mean, it's, especially when there's a police-involved shooting and an unintended person is killed, as in this case, you have got to cross every freaking T and dot every I just to avoid what is going on now. Well, listen to this one, man. Listen to this, Murph. So... In our public integrity unit, it's it's filled with sergeants, and then you've got you know lieutenant and major, and a new sergeant had just gone up to this unit, who didn't have investigative skills, and this is her first case. That's who they assigned this case to. Not their seasoned detectives, not the guys who were squared away, but this new person, first case. Here, this is yours. Have at it. And so there were just so many little mistakes made along the way that when they add up, it looks horrible. It really does. And it all compounds each, each other. It, does. it just it keeps does. growing and growing. It's very frustrating once you're on the other side looking at it going, you got to be kidding me. You know, how, how can this take place? How could you not follow up on that statement by, by the officer that said mom uh, said he was at the door? How can you not pull her phone records to see what other phones called her? This just no, makes no sense to me. Anybody who's got a connection to this case now gets a warrant. You either get voluntary cooperation or you get a warrant. You start seizing everything because the thing is, 
everything now becomes material to the investigation of the case. Statements that are made, calls that are made, texts that are made, um, whatever it is, right? You've got to, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Let's, let's get back to the case real quick. Um, you're out of there pretty quickly after the shots end, right? So from the time you're shot until the time you're thrown into a, an ambulance and taken to the hospital, how long of a time is that? Oh, man. It seemed like an eternity, probably 10 minutes, uh, because EMS wouldn't come up on the radio. These young guys, I was afraid that was going to happen, uh, never answered the radio. And so f- they're, they're less than a half mile away. They well, finally- and You said they would. Why wouldn't they answer the radio? When I pulled up, here's what was taking place. When I couldn't get their attention, the driver had some headphones on watching something on his phone. The passenger was watching some movie on his phone. And so I don't know if they were so enthralled in what they were doing. I have no idea, but less than a half mile away. And, and you know, they take 10 minutes to get there. Well, the good, the good thing about the delay, though, you know, there's God works things out crazy ways. So when these guys get me in the ambulance, they're standing there. Both of them are, are you, they're pale. Their eyes are big. You got a black guy and a white guy, but they're both just like, holy crap, what's going on? Tony James, the guy we talked about earlier, they had the tourniquet, jumped in the back of the ambulance to ride down with me. He looks at him and goes, we're just sitting there after I'm in. And they're going, he said, what do you want me to do? You want me to drive or something? And, and the white kid went, no, I got this. He, he, he's like, he didn't want nothing to do with it. So he jumps in the driver's seat and we start to leave. Well, then the black guy's standing there and he looks at him and he goes, what do you need help with? Because he's doing nothing. He went, uh, uh, I can't find my big gauze. And I'm thinking, you're big. You don't need a gauze. I'm already wrapped up and, and, and all this stuff. Just give me pain meds. Do something. Take my blood pressure. Do anything. Just act like you know what you're doing. Are, about- are these guys – were these guys allegedly EMTs or paramedics or <laughs> well, what? Well, they, they were just – so there's like three levels of EMT. They're the lowest, like life-saving skills. They get basically got what cops got. You know, yeah. CPR. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And so, but, but again, the delay was a fortunate thing. Kind of like the guy showing up in the car that, that was the only one that said we knocked and announced was all of a sudden the EMS stops, the back doors open and it's two paramedics from the fire department. And they, I knew one of them, they jump on board, man, they go to work. They knew what they were doing. They pushed the other guy out of the way and said, here, just take our times. So none of these guys touched me. Okay. They never put a finger on me. They never helped me. They didn't even help me get in the EMS. Cause when I, when they finally got me to the EMS, he was pulling the gurney out of the back and I grabbed it and pushed it back in and said, we don't need this now. I mean, they were just, they were, they were lost. And so I get in there. They, he don't touch me about six months later, if even that. The, the black EMT writes a big Facebook post saying, had he known he was saving the life of this evil person, he wouldn't have done it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you didn't save me. You never put a finger on me. So it just goes to show you the mentality. Not even it. that statement. The point is you take an oath. Can you imagine if you written a post that said, look, if I'd known they were going to be black or if I'd known they were going to be Asian, I wouldn't have saved their life. Yeah. How yeah. would that have gone over from a police officer saying that? Well, the good thing is he was working at – he had left EMS because not good at it. He obviously wasn't cut out for it, yeah. He was, But yeah. he was working at an emergency room as a uh, – whatever they're called, an assistant down there. And so uh, there was enough people that called, and he lost his job over that one. Well, that's antithetical to the medical creed too. You know, right. It's like you're there to save lives. You're not there to pass judgment. Right. Right. Well, jackass, he's just jumping on the bandwagon. Well, yeah, every, that see, that's the thing is everybody wants their 15 seconds of fame and 15 minutes of fame on the backs of the people who went through the incident. Um, but let's let's continue on. Um, 
you, you're out of there like in 10 minutes. When you find out, you, you go through surgery, you wake up and you find out about Brianna Taylor, but how long does it take you for you find out that it was not your shot? Oh, that wasn't until a year later, almost a year later, when uh, the AG's office finally came up with a ruling. And I think, was it September? Um, so you're sitting there for a year not knowing. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and the bad thing about not knowing is like, we're used to most things in life, right? We can handle it. We can do, we can figure things out, but that, that feeling of the unknown waiting for that, that hammer to drop is the worst feeling in the world. But then even that was over, you know, the DOJ and the FBI continued theirs until uh, what, two months ago. So over two years, they investigated before they finally uh, decided what they were going to do. Well, let, yeah, let's not hop to that yet. Let's yeah. work our way up into it. So let's go back to the hospital. Um, what? Let's start talking about the aftermath now of the shooting. She's dead, um, and obviously things start happening. Um, you have protests start happening. You have lawyers start getting involved. Um, I mean, some some bad stuff starts happening in Louisville. So initially, so this happened on Friday the 13th. It was a full moon. Uh, but also on, on that 13th is the day that the nation basically shut down because of COVID. So I'm sitting back at home as, as I'm recovering thinking, man, this is horrible. Because when it first happened, black female, white cop, unarmed, I thought, oh, crap. Because you, you know as well as I do, ever since George Floyd, what do we do? When there's a shooting, we don't go, man, was it a good shoot? Is everybody okay? No, we go, oh, were they black or white? Which is dumb. It's stupid. It shouldn't matter. It should just be, was it a good shoot or bad shoot, period. Uh, but we, we've been so conditioned to that with this environment that that when that came out, when they said that, I thought, oh, man, this ain't going to end well. Uh, but then when COVID became so dominant and the president was on every day and our governor and mayor and all that, it kind of got pushed aside. And I thought to myself, maybe we got lucky on this one. I mean, maybe this one's just going to kind of skate. Uh, but then Ahmaud Aubrey happened in April and Ben Crump got on that case. Well, the way it works out, her family's attorney, one of her family's attorneys had interned with Ben Crump in law school and knew him. So she reached out to him and said, Hey, Brianna's not getting any attention here. Can you help us? Well, naturally he saw dollar signs. What's that? Who is she? Who is she? Uh, she works for Sam Aguiar in his office. I can't remember her name offhand. Lanita Baker. That's who it is. Lanita Baker. And so when she, and she, she's given a statement that that's what she did, that exact thing. She's not getting attention. Can you help us? He said, sure. So then it was, if you run for a mod, run for Bree. That's how it all started. And there was no protest in the city up to this point. I mean, her family was coming out. There's like maybe 10 or 15 of them. They, they'd make some noise or whatever and go home. And then things started picking up and you could feel the, the tension in the city start to rise from the end of April through the 1st of May. And I remember reaching out to, this, to my boss going, can you please have them release the search warrant? Because at this time, here was the narrative. We were at the wrong place. She was asleep in her bed when we killed her. Uh, Jamarcus Glover was already in custody. Uh, what were some of the other things? It, it, it was like five or six different things that were so outlandish and false that were easily proven wrong. Oh, that we didn't knock and announce. And all these things were easily proven different. And my department would not do, would not show anything. They wouldn't even show the warrant to go, no, here's her name and address. It's right here on the warrant. They refused to do it. And I said, why are we not doing this? They said, well, it, it goes against, pro we don't want to set protocol for future investigations. 
And I said, wait a minute, if I'd had a body cam on, that would have been released in 24 hours. What's the difference in showing my body cam footage or saying, nope, that's not true with this attorney saying he's making all this smoke. Let's tell the truth here. They wouldn't do it. They refused. Um, I reached out to our city councilman, who, the president our, of our city council, who used to be a cop. He trained me in the academy. And I said, David, here's what they're saying. And I made a whole list. And I said, here's the truth. And I told the list. I said, what can you do about it? He said, yeah, our mayor's a coward. I'll do a press conference Monday and tell the truth. Thank you. I thought I had help. Monday came and went. The next Monday came and went. Next thing I know, he's on live TV talking about, oh, they should have never done a no-knock warrant. They shouldn't have done this. And I'm like, it wasn't a no-knock warrant. And so I'm texting while he's on TV, calling him a coward, saying, this is ridiculous, man. You know, you used to be a cop. What happened to you? And um, so, But now he's politics, so that, that trumps everything. So all this stuff was going down. We had the proof in our hands. They let the narrative get so spun up and let people's emotions get so riled up that things started building and building and building. And then George Floyd happened and just all hell broke loose. That's when that's when things really blew up in the city. And, and for our, I'm not sure that we mentioned this. Sam is Aguiar. Is that how you Aguiar, say his name? Yeah. He's a he's a local attorney there that I guess took up the the family's case. Correct. And and, and I remember reading there one point where he accused you guys of going drinking before you went on the raid. Oh, man. He said we went drinking. He said we went there to rob her and steal the money. He, all these crazy claims. And people believe it. People believe it because no one on our behalf would stand up. We had gag orders on us. We couldn't say anything. Nobody would stand up on our behalf and go, that's just – that's crazy. Uh, why is it you think? Why is it you think the leadership? And I hate to use the word leadership. Why do you hate to? Th why is it that you think that the people in management positions did not address this? Because to the point is, you're right. You, you think about all the rules that are out there now for body cam. You see, a sh if there's a shooting in L.A., they've got a video about it where they're releasing the body cam with the context around it. Here's what really happened. Mm -hmm. Is not part of the remit is not part of the duty of law enforcement is to keep the peace. What other better way to keep the peace? You can't stop everything, but at least you can stop the rumors from flying by giving the truth out there to say, look, we don't have all the facts, but here's the facts we have. And here's the facts from the search warrant. Why do you think uh, these swivel chair commandos just let you guys hang out there to dry? Was Were they already looking at as how to spin this and um, deflect blame? I mean, what's your theory? I think a couple of things came into play here. I think the first one was, number one, they knew they were kind of the reason we were there because of the gentrification. Our mayor's office runs our department, not our chief. Okay. There's a lady named Amy Hessen, who's our number two in charge. She's at all the big meetings. She controls things. When she tells the chief to jump, he jumps. I mean, there's, that's just a face. Okay. The, the mayor's office runs the department in Louisville, period. And I think they had egg on their face from this gentrification stuff that they didn't want. They had already, number two, I think they thought the same thing I thought. With COVID, this isn't going to be a big deal. We'll just let a dog lie and hope it goes away. And unfortunately, it didn't. And once it didn't, they had already, our mayor had already gotten on stage and said, we need justice for Breonna Taylor. We're going to get to the bottom of this. If I could fire these guys right now, I would. All this stuff, the mayor had already come out. The governor had already given her his his podium during his COVID speeches on two different occasions with her attorneys calling for our arrest, calling for our indictment, calling for us to lose our job and our pensions. This is all in, in, in leadership position authorities, uh, podiums that they're talking at on TV. And so now when it explodes, 
they're going to have egg on their face if they come back and go, well, we knew all along the warrant was at the right place and she wasn't in bed. She was actually in the hall and, you know, Jamarcus Glover wasn't in custody and all these things that they easily could have shown the public that they withheld. They didn't want to look like fools. And and this Amy Hess, who was the number two, what was her background before Louisville PD? Well, that's that's Amy Hess. The other one is Hessen. And oh, Amy sorry, Hess, sorry. it was our... our uh, coordinator over EMS fire and police. She was our public safety director. She had come to Louisville in December of 19. She just retired from the FBI. She was the highest ranking female official ever in the FBI. She was appointed to DC by James Comey, uh, if that tells you anything. And uh, she came to work after she retired for uh, Greg Fisher. And that'll be, that'll come into play in here in just a minute. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, one other observation I want to make, too, is this is the thing that's always been my complaint. And this is one thing I kind of took on as my personal mission when I was doing some training of uh, new officers. I spent a lot of time covering policy procedure, what their rights were during an internal investigation, you know, because the thing and it it brought it home one time when one of the guys I worked with, the sergeant, was the victim of an aggravated assault. A guy pointed a weapon at him and by all rights, he probably could have dropped him. But they were able to resolve the situation. He's the victim of the aggravated assault, attempted, you know, an attempted murder of a law enforcement officer. We go into court, and of course, they always do the, you know, they make a motion to exclude all the witnesses. You know, um, they've got to go out, uh, you know, into the hallway or whatever. And so he stayed there. And they said, no, look, you've got to get out. You've, you know, we're, you know, we've, uh, you know, all the witnesses have been sequestered. You've got to go out into the hallway. And he looks at him. He goes, and this is what he says to the judge. He goes, I'm the fucking victim. Are you telling me I have to leave? And the judge looks at him and goes, fair point, because you know what? The fact that he had a uniform on gave him second-class status. He wasn't entitled to the same rights and the same due process as everybody else was. And look, Murph and I both say nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Right. Uh, you know, we I, I unfortunately had to be involved in some investigations to put, you know, take action against bad cops. Nobody wants that. But that does not mean that whether you're a good guy or a bad guy in society, that you're not entitled to the same due process. Brianna Taylor, Jamarcus Glover, Walker, they're all entitled to due process, but so are you. Correct. <clears throat> Correct. And so here's what happened at, this is the, this is the part that hurt worse than, than being shot. I take being shot 10 times over from the betrayal of the department, the city that you, you know, you poured your blood, sweat and tears into. And, so at the end of May, it was Sunday night. This was when the riots first broke out. We'd already gotten word um, that there was a lot of that there were some threats against us. Now we'd received a ton of overt threats through social media. I'd already had to change my phone number because it had gotten doxxed, and all these people calling, threatening, "We're going to kill your wife and kids, and we're going to do a no knock on your kids," and you know all this stuff. They attacked my kids on social media. They did all this stuff. And how long after the shooting does this start? That started after the the Mott Aubrey stuff. So end of April, first of May, okay. about when that started picking up. But then the end of May, I get a call from uh, a TFO for the Joint Terrorism Task Force who works up at the FBI, saying, "Man, you need to get you and your family, and y'all need to get get out of town." I said, "What's going on?" And he said, "It's been conf- it's been corrobor- uh, corroborated from two different." informants that Brianna Taylor's family has taken a hit out on you guys. Now, her mom was high up in a in a black motorcycle club in town that's known for violence, drug dealing, guns, gun sales, all that. So she's part of that club. Her boyfriend's the vice president. 
apparently they had gotten together with the sister club in town and brought in uh, Sin City from Chicago uh, and had a meeting, and these informants were there. And uh, they gave into detail different ways they could take us out. And her birthday was coming up in June, the first part of June, I think June 5th. And what I was told was that they wanted something to celebrate on her balloon release. And if it wasn't one of you cops, it's going to be one of your family members. So we had to scramble, find a place out of town, get my entire family, parents, kids, grandkids, everybody, and get out of town at two in the morning. Here we are in this caravan. It's like a scene out of a movie. Well, let's... Let's stop there for a second and and underscore something for a minute because you're not just talking about it wasn't just like a couple rumors. You've got a task force officer, a TFO assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Anytime, like especially with a warrant, if a one informant says it, that's one thing. If two independent sources tell you the same information, you can start using that to get things like a search warrant. It be, it starts becoming probable cause. When you talk to this guy, um, obviously the hairs on the back of your neck are going up. But when he talked to you, you know how it is. Sometimes cops talk to you, say, hey, look, just watch your back versus, dude, this is serious shit. What kind of a conversation was it with that guy? What triggered in your mind to say, this ain't the usual stuff? Oh, it was very straightforward. He was very straightforward. He didn't beat around the bush. He's like, this is what's taking place. Two informants have come in. Uh, They've corroborated their stories. The informants don't know each other. They don't know their formants. One of the informants actually works for the ATF. They're on an OSADEF case as we speak. They've already bought guns from this club. This informant's tied in. The other one's a peripheral guy, but he's tied into the club as well. And they both came to us. They came to separate handlers with the same story. Which so was both informants were connected to the motorcycle club that her mother was involved in. Correct. And so when that took place and he's like, dude, you got to go. I mean, there was no there was no wiggle room. There was no questioning. Are you sure we got to go? Because the way he presented it was like, oh, crap, man, this sucks. Because, again, we'd already been kind of briefed on some some threats that had been rumored through other people, but not through informants. Now we had inside people coming to us. And um, so once we got out of town, I was expecting the FBI as a victim, because now at this point I am a true victim, not just involved in a shooting victim. But now I'm a true victim here with my family having a hit taken out on them. And the FBI won't talk to us. I reached out to my attorney. I reached out to our department, and they were keeping us at arm's distance for whatever reason. Don't know the the entire reason. I have no idea. Um, and when this is taking place, I'm thinking, man, what is going on? And so I told the TFO, because he used to work for me in another unit, and I said, when we talk, we won't talk about the case. All I need you to do is let me know if there's anything serious I need to watch about. I said, I want the integrity of the case to go good, so if it comes to court – you can testify and say, I did not give any information. Plus, I didn't want to lose his job at the, at the FBI. And so all this has taken place, and he calls me like a day later. Okay, they're going to do warrants on all these phones. It's moving forward. We're going with it. The next day calls. Man, I don't know what's going on, but something's funny here. The next day. And uh, I just got into a big argument with the bosses here. They came down and, and were saying that uh, – they don't think the informants are, are reputable. And I said, how the hell are they not reputable when one's on an OSADEF case working for the feds right now? If they're not reputable, they've got to pull this person off the case and she can, and they can never be used again. That's their protocol. And I said, how come nobody's ever reached out to me? Can you have one of them reach out to me? They wouldn't do it. So about the fifth day in, they take this guy who's, who's telling me this stuff and they kick him off the floor. They, they cut his key badge off, won't allow him access to the, the guys the working. The TFO? Case. Yes, the TFO. 
And they said it's because of the integrity of the investigation because he's an LMPD guy. And so when they do that, my wheels are turning. I'm going, wait a minute. This ain't making sense. What's going on here? So this is just the detective of me coming out or maybe the paranoid. I don't know, but it all makes sense. So I'm thinking, how could this be? I talked to a retired FBI agent who was a undercover guy, very well respected, did it for 32 years, I think. He used to work for Amy Hess, who is now our public safety director. He also worked for the SAC in Louisville, a guy named Brown, who was the SAC at the time. He calls me and goes, man, I hate to tell you this. He said, but Amy Hess and Brown are like really tight. They're good friends. They talk on the phone every day. They go to lunch. Um, I would just keep an eye out. That's all he would tell me. And I'm like, huh, okay. Why, why are you telling me this? Well, who does Amy Hess work for? Greg Fisher. What does Greg Fisher want? Our jobs. He's already condemned us from a, from a public venue. So Amy Hess works for Greg Fisher. She's a very liberal person, number one. She's not pro-police. She's, she's on that side. And we think that she reached out to Brown over at the FBI, her buddy, and said, hey, do me a favor. Just make this murder for hire go away. Do something with it. So they, 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 by day 10, they closed the investigation completely. And you and I know how hard it is to get an investigation open through the FBI. And they don't close cases just in case, because once they close them, it's hard to get them reopened through DC. So they closed the case in 10 days, 10 days, 10 days. Ten days. You can't even get up to speed on a case. Exactly. And then they lied about it. The AUSA lied about it because I reached out to them. Oh no, case is still going, blah, blah, blah. Well, the guys on the inside were already telling me case is done, dude. There's no case. We have zero access to it. And, um, so I'm thinking that, you know, Amy has told Brown. Well, then like two months later, Brown gets appointed to her old position in D.C. So it's looking at the puzzle. You're going, well, this kind of makes sense. You know, I can see how everybody calls you conspiracy theorists and stuff. But, man, a lot of those have come true lately. So I, I can see how this could play out where, hey, Brown, take care of me here and I'll take care of you. OK, you know, because when, once they're at that sack position, it's all political. They're trying to go up. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened here. And so the case was dropped. My attorney's done uh, Freedom of Information Act request, keeps getting denied on them. They said they will not uh, release a case file because we were like, well, just release the case file to KSP or to somebody else who can work the case. Give it to ATF. They got the informant. Let them run with it. Wouldn't do it. They said, no, we, we're not releasing anything because no one was charged in this case. And so, therefore, we, we're not required to release any information. So that's where we stand with the FBI. They've still never once reached out to me about it. Not a victim's advocate, nobody. They wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't talk to my attorney. It's just been a, a very odd and peculiar thing because I had FBI clearance at this time. And so I'm like, wait a minute. I know some of y'all's protocols. I know some of the rules and you aren't, by, they're not playing by them. They're, they're making them up as they go. If it hadn't been for your friend, the TFO, would you have gotten any word from the Bureau at all that you were a target? None, none. zero. I don't know about the target. Wait a minute. Let me go back. I don't know if I wouldn't have gotten any word about the target, but I 100% know once the case was open, I would have been given zero information from there on out. I would have never known the case was closed because they lied to my attorney for oh, six weeks before they finally told the truth. And finally, we got a response in an email that said, uh, case is closed, no anticipated charges. That's it. That was our answer. I mean, I... Stunned. I mean, I'm trying to figure out uh, just stunning. I mean, it's like, here's the thing. 
again, it's like were mistakes made? Mistakes were made all over the place, right? But but we are humans. We're imperfect. That's the nature of police work is you do the best you can. You do all the work you can. You put everything you can. You dot the I's, cross the T's, belt suspenders, use your favorite analogy. But but at some point, it's like, I think you're right. The most disheartening thing is to be left to hang out to dry the way that you were. Let's Let's go back to that a little bit, too, because I want to talk about the 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 state investigations the city investigations you know the federal investigations i mean how many different ways has your role in this been investigated uh the three that i know of the the city did theirs the attorney general of the state of kentucky did theirs and then the doj did theirs as far, and i'm just this question is only as it relates to you as it relates to you have you been charged with any crime no not at all uh you've been not looked at, at by the department of justice correct no charges. No charges. The, you've been looked at by the state. No charges. No charges. You've been looked at by the city. No charges. No charges. What does that tell you? That we didn't do anything wrong that night. Was this so? This was presented to a grand jury after the shooting, right? Yes. And what was the grand jury? That it was a true bill passed down. No, what they did is so Cameron, uh, Daniel Cameron, who's our attorney general in his office. They did not present murder charges against me or Miles because they looked at the, the state statutes. They looked at all the evidence and they said it didn't meet any of it. None of it. It was all self-defense at the door after we got shot and he got shot at. So he didn't even present that to a grand jury because he said it didn't meet any of the, the elements. So why would he present it? Um, so he did the right thing. He, he's a black, our first black attorney general, man, he took some heat. I mean, he got letters from, uh, dude, Dion's I remember bed. I watched some of those conferences on TV, some of those press conferences, and I watched him doing that. And it's like, but you know, at some point you hope people do their job. Like if the evidence is there, then present it. And if it's not there, then don't force, this is not putting a square peg in a round hole just because you want, you are wedded to an outcome that you publicly like the mayor and everybody else stated, Hey, here's what we're going to do. What happened to due process? What happened to my rights? When did they become second uh, class compared to everybody else's rights? Yeah, because the the, the entire cry from even local attorneys was, <clears throat> we'll take them to trial and let a jury decide. Well, if you didn't meet the elements of the crime and you didn't commit a crime, are we taking everything that we don't like to a jury? Right. And letting emotions play here? No, we're going by facts. And I'm glad he had the courage to do it because a lot of people didn't. Yeah, yeah just, because, this, just because you want something to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but that, that's where you got to, it's like an investigator. You know, I, you pro, you guys probably been given the same kind of crap from people. It's like, you don't let emotions get in the way. It's you follow the facts. It's not how I feel about somebody. I might despise you, but if the facts don't, if the facts don't lead me to a conclusion, probable cause that says you're the one who committed this crime, there's not going to be an arrest. You just don't arrest based upon the fact, I don't like this guy. You know, yeah. if that was the case, there'd be an awful lot of people in jail. Hell, I might be in jail. There might be a few <laughs> people out there that hook my ass up because they didn't like me. But that's not the way it works. But let's continue to talking about the aftermath, because like you say, it was the beginning of COVID. Um, I, I, you're right. I just you put that in perspective. I had just gotten back from Israel. And about two weeks later, I almost didn't make it out of Israel. Then two weeks later, everything starts shutting down, which kind of tamped down things for a while. But then things pick up pick back up. What about your career, though, on Louisville? I mean, how long does it take for the city case to play out and the state case to play out before that comes to an end? Well, the city case never totally ended. They uh, 
they were forced to give their stuff over to both the FBI and the attorney generals and were asked to step out of it. So when they did that, uh, the attorney general came back in September, I think it was. And then finally in April or uh, yeah, April the following year, 21, they finally said I could come back to work because I've been asking, when can I come back to work? I mean, I rehabbed hard. I didn't want to sit at home. I want to go to work. I want to just get back doing what I was doing. And um, even though I was jaded, even though I was, you know, disheartened by them, I thought I got I'm going to keep working. What else can I do? Well, if if none of this had been going on, um, how long would you have been back to work? How long did it take you to rehab to where you said, look, I'm ready to go to work? Would it have been three months, four months, six months? Yeah, it was it was maybe three months when I got the release, three or four when I got the release. And so the rest of the time, what are you on? Um, administrative leave. leave? Yeah. Okay. And so the day I go back in the office, I walk in the office, my major calls me in and he goes, man, I hate to do this, but here and handed me a piece of paper. I said, what's this? I read it. It's an involuntary transfer to the property room. Now that goes our, our FOP, you know, we have guidelines and there has to be protocols met unless they use the, for the good of the department. That's kind of their, their cover. Catchphrase, yeah. Yes. And that's what the chief put on there. It was for the good of the department that I be moved to the property room, basically out of sight, out of mind. And man, I was furious. I that's said, like going to the rubber gun squad. Yeah. I said, boss, I said, I didn't commit a crime. I didn't violate policy. I got shot. Why am I getting punished? This makes no sense to me. He said, man, it's out of my control. Nothing I can do. So I said, fine. I said, give me a couple of weeks vacation. I got to think about this. And I put my papers in and went ahead and checked out because I could see the writing on the wall because at this point we had uh, Chief Erica Shields. She had just come from Atlanta and all that debacle down there with Brooks uh, where she fired people. They got their jobs back because she acted on total emotion and and caved to the coward to the public. Her very first press conference here on TV said, Brianna Taylor shouldn't have happened. She was just asleep in her bed. And this is just another case of, of white. Um, what was the word she used? It wasn't white supremacy, white, uh, whiteness, uh, something like that. Basically. And then she went on to say, you can't hand me that crap that this happened in a black community because they commit the most crime. She said they would never do this to a white person at this time of night. And I'm sitting back going, you just called me a racist and you lied and said she was in her bed and you're my chief. And so I, re- I started requesting. So they called you a racist at this point. And tell me again about your son-in-law and kid. <laughs> yeah, he's black and they're they're biracial. And it's, how uh, long has he been a part of your family at this point? Well, he's been dating my daughter since she was 13 and she's 26 now. So 13, half of her life. Yeah. So, but 13 years, right? Yeah. So correct. while Brianna Taylor, before Brianna Taylor, after Brianna Taylor was gone, you've got a black son-in-law. Correct. And two grandbabies. Correct. That are biracial. Yep. And you're a racist. 100%. <laughs> yeah. See, this is this is the thing that pisses me off. People don't think through it. They, they get the narrative in there. And, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this podcast episode. Maybe there'll be some people who don't like it and quit listening in. You know, if you're uncomfortable having an uncomfortable conversation, this isn't the podcast for you. You know, right. this is one of the reasons we wanted to really take on some issues. And are we, in a sense, defending what you did? Absolutely. Because the more you learn the facts, it's like, here's the thing. Here's the thing I'm defending. 
you went through three levels of review. The city could have done something, but they punted. They gave it to the state. The state could have done something. They didn't. The feds could have done something that they didn't. As far as it concerns you, how many times do you have to be vindicated that what you did was legitimate and just? Was it the outcome you wanted? No. But that never that's the way society goes. You take the world as you find it, not as you wish it was. Now, there are other officers involved who face their own forms of justice and face, face their own punishment. But as it relates to you, I think the worst thing somebody said you had on your record, because I want to talk about Michael Strahan's interview too, <laughs> okay. but I think the worst thing you had on your record was you got a reprimand for sending an email out because you were pissed about the way you were being treated. I mean- Well, up to this point, that was that was after the fact. Up to this point, the only reprimand I had on my record was a I got written up for turning in a use of force late. It wasn't my use of force. I was. I would have written your ass up for falling over the damn fence and making <laughs> LPD look like a fool. That would have been in your permanent record, there, pal. Yeah. No. Well, and, and one other thing. One other thing we need to touch on here is. So, what was the outcome of the charges against Kenneth Taylor, the Kenneth guy that Walker. shot you? So, Kenneth Walker. Uh, Walker, I'm sorry. Our the the council member that was in charge of our public safety got on a Zoom meeting because they were doing all their meetings by Zoom at this point. They allowed Ben Crump into this meeting. On this Zoom meeting, she gets up there and says, Kenneth Walker's a hero. And I demand that Tom Wine, who is our our, uh, Commonwealth attorney, uh, drop all charges on him. Well, like three days later, they dropped the charges on him. And they said, I had one of them call me and go, Hey man, I'm sorry about this. We're, uh, we're, the charges are coming. We're going to, we're going to, we just need, we need to, you know, tighten everything up to make sure it holds up in court. And I was like, okay, we'll see. You know, I, I kind of believed him at this point because it was early on. I thought, well, maybe they'll do the right thing. And then, um, six months later, and this is on a podcast recording. Steve Romines is the attorney for Kenneth Walker. This is on a recording of him saying this. He said, we included Tom Wine in on our lawsuit against the city. Tom Wine's part of it. I told Tom Wine if he would dismiss Kenneth Walker's case with prejudice, meaning we can't go back and charge him anymore, that we'll take his name out of the lawsuit. And, and the day before that deadline, they released, they did that. All charges dropped, can't come back on him. So they took him out of the lawsuit. Um, wow. If that's yeah, not boy. quick pro quo, if that's not a. If this is on him, he, the attorney saying this on recording. I mean, that's, that's, that qualifies as extortion. Either you do this or I'm going to, you exactly. know, we're going to sue you. And it's an official act. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so his charges are dropped. Uh, this past week, uh, the city settled with him for $2 million um, and told us to go pound sand. <laughs> Just kind of the way this whole thing's gone. Um, you know, and, and I mean, here's, you know, so Kenneth Walker was in love with Brianna because he held her as she passed away. But while he was in jail, wasn't there some report, recorded phone calls <laughs> Yeah, like made? the second day he was in jail, he's calling a girl trying to have phone sex with her. Like a week later, he talks to another girl telling her how much he loves her and he's going to marry her when he gets out. Um, and this is the same guy. When they downloaded his phone, they found uh, he's selling weed and pills, which are probably fentanyl pills. Don't know for sure, but they look like it because uh, he had pictures of them on his phone, selling them to all the Hooters girls. Uh, t- he's talking about home invasions on there. Um, and so, you know, he's not a good guy, not, a, not, not um, salt of the earth. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, they, and, and now he's been portrayed to be some bucks. kind of freaking hero. Yeah. He's just, he's just another. Why does he get $2 million? Because they said we shouldn't have been there because of, of the warrant. 
And uh, that's what they told us. I don't know. So if that's the case, I shouldn't have been there either. I was lied to just like just like everybody else. If if the warrant was no good and we shouldn't have been there, I shouldn't have been there. And and so his attorney is going to get a third of that two million dollars. So over six hundred thousand dollars he just put in his pocket for right. getting up and telling a bunch of freaking lies. Yep. Well. So let's continue on. Let's talk a little bit, too, about the aftermath of the other people involved, because they really spent a lot of time going after people on this. Right. What happened to some of your other partners on this case? So Brett Hankison, who's the guy that moved around the front and was and shot through the windows, um, he was charged on a state level for wanton endangerment. He went through trial. And we're a super liberal city, Louisville is. I mean, super liberal. We're like little San Francisco. And I thought for sure, man, they wouldn't give him a change of venue. I thought, man, he's going to get hammered. They're going to, he's going to get found guilty, even though he's not of anything. But they're, I know the way the city runs. And they deliberated for less than two hours, came out acquitted because they finally heard some of the facts that mm-hmm. nobody had heard. And you know, and I know too, when you're in a jury trial and they come out that fast, it's usually not good news for the exactly. defendant. Oh, I was it sick, takes them longer than that to make freaking coffee and decide who's <laughs> going to be in charge of the jury foreman. So the DOJ, one of them was in the room, or one of the FBI agents was in the courtroom and was heard saying as they walked out, don't worry, this ain't over, because they were still going after him. They've since indicted him for... Uh, the federal charge of wanton endangerment, same thing. I can't remember what they call it. Some civil small. rights violations and well, some other stuff hit, too. Yeah. Then they hit him with the civil rights violation. Yeah. And here's a guy who the only reason he shot through those windows is because his last sighting of us was at the door, hearing me say I got shot as he's going around to the side. All he hears is rapid gunfire. He thought we were getting assassinated at that doorway, and he was doing whatever he could to try to get us out of there, save our life. That was his mindset at the time because I asked him. Tell me why you did what you did, because if I got to talk about it, I need to know. And that was it. That's what he said, man. I, I was trying to get you out of the doorway. I thought you were dead. And um, so the state acquitted him. The feds have since indicted him. And if he gets found guilty with that tag on of, of the civil rights violation, that's life in prison for do, for not hitting anything but a wall. I mean, it's, it's a witch hunt is what it is. It just it gets more and more ridiculous as this continues to go. Yeah. And so on the other two uh, that wrote the warrant, Kelly and Josh, Kelly got caught up in a, they called it slushy gate, her and three other guys before they came to narcotics. This was back in 2018 or 19. uh, They were caught on one of the person's videos on their, on their cell phone uh, throwing, they were going getting full slushies and riding around, throwing them on people, you know, helpless people on the side of the road, homeless people, whatever. And so she's part of that. When they brought her in for this, they revealed that that they had the slushy thing on her too. So now this is a civil rights violation or whatever it is, which I didn't know the feds investigated people throwing slushies on people. It's kind of extreme seeing some of the cases we've taken to them that they've declined. Um, but they took that along with this and 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 let her proffer. And when she did, she told the truth saying, we knew it wasn't true. I put it in there anyway. Then after it came out, when we were exposed by by the postal inspector, we Josh called me. We met in his garage, and we said we were going to put it on Mattingly. And that's what they did. That's what they put in the investigative letter that I told them that. And so they've got to face the music for that. You know, you dug that grave. That's not what well, they were going to. How so? Right. What was their plan to put it on you? What was their statements that they made that 
was designed to put you in the crosshairs. Well, in, in the investigative letter, it says, I specifically told them that the postal inspector did say the packages were going there in Jamarcus Glover's name, which is so easily refuted. I don't know why they would do it other than, than ignorance or naivety. I have no idea. See, well, so again, I, I hate to knock a couple of your colleagues, but I'm going to do it anyway. First of all, what the fuck are you doing driving around throwing slushies on people? I mean, just right. idiots. That's idiotic. What? I mean, did in what universe can you look at that? It's it's different than pulling a prank on somebody, right? It's different oh, than 100%. putting their car in drive and letting them go over. You know, the <laughs> we call those drive-in theaters. You know, um, yeah. you said it not. It's a drive-in theater. That's the, what it was. I, I was having a brain fart. <laughs> yeah, because you're not old like me and Murph. You know, we have yeah. a rock solid uh, uh, steel trap mind. What was I saying? Oh yeah, no, um, just kidding. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's the thing you look at. In what universe would that have been acceptable in any event? You know, uh, where did where did they think that this was okay? You know why they did it? I, I mean, they, this is what I just my because they could they did it because they could and they could yeah. get away with it. Because what homeless person is going to be considered legitimate or credible? And it's just a slushy, right? It's not like you're throwing acid on them or bleach or anything else. You know, juicy smolier, as Dave Chappelle says. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it it's all disheartening uh, because, you know, just when you think, OK, I've gotten past some betrayals, then you hear somebody that you were just helping out that you took a bullet for because of their bad information that now you're going to try to blame it on me. And, and I'm not taking another bullet for this guy. I'm just not doing it. You know, in Washington, D.C., been around this place for too long. And Murph, you know it, too. It's not the lie. It's the cover up. You know, right. it, that's what gets so many people in, in trouble. It's the cover up of the life. You just come out and say, I screwed up and I did it. You're going to get a lot of, uh, you're going to get a lot of, um, flexibility. You know, they're going to give you, they're going to cut you a break, but it's the cover up. And that's what got these guys in trouble, right? It really wasn't so oh, much yeah. the actions of that night. It was the cover up from the actions of that night. Exactly. Yeah. That was it. Cause all they had to come out, like you said, and say, Man, I was framing this out. I forgot to take it out. Or I thought that's what he said. I misheard him. Or anything other than let's lock our heels in and, and come up with something together. This is stupid. Just be honest and tell the truth, which that's is part it. of the freaking oath we took, you know, when we started carrying a badge. Yeah. And their sergeant got charged with, I don't know what he got charged with, something, I think some kind of catch all. And I, I really don't, I think he's getting hung up to dry too. He's a good guy. I don't think he did anything wrong. I think uh, the biggest mistake he made was on all the, the ones they had the risk assessment matrix done ahead of time on this one, they didn't. And I think he did it the next day. And that's all I can think of. I have no idea what he would have done because like I said, he's a good guy and, and doesn't uh, doesn't portray himself that way. I got to ask you about two other people here before we talk about your media interviews. Sergeant Andrew Meyer filed a report <laughs> saying no shot should have been fired by police even after Mattingly was shot. Yeah. He's, what is that all about? He's, he he have problems? He, he said I should be fired for what I did. Um, but this is the same coward, man. I've got stories on him. Uh, several years back, he made a, a run on – when he was on the beat, he made a run on a uh, pit bull. The, guy, the owner called saying my dog's trying to kill me. He gets there. This dude's screaming inside. He won't go inside. My other buddy's on an additional beat, rides over, nosy. Heck, dog's chewing a dude's face off. I want to see it. You know how we are. We're, we're demented like that. He goes <laughs> over there. He gets out. Meyer's standing at the door. He can hear the guy screaming inside. He goes up and goes, what are you doing, man? He went, I ain't going in there. 
So my buddy uh-huh. kicks the door open, goes in there and shoots the dog. Dude's in critical condition. Then Meyer gets mad at him for shooting the dog and says, you should never take any life. So it just shows you his mindset. You are in the wrong job then, my friend, because oh, yeah. he should be, he should be yeah. an activist somewhere, not doing what he's doing. But he's able to be an activist inside the police department is the bad thing. And oh. so uh, then the first day of the riots, the very first day when all hell broke loose, he's in the middle of it. He's over a unit because he's a sergeant. He has a panic attack, freaks out, goes, takes his stuff off, sits down by cars, crying, has his hands in his head. And then he takes stress leave, never had to do another riot again. Yet he's the guy investigating all of us for uses of force. How does that make sense when you're the coward, when you refuse to use force, but you investigate everybody else for it? Yeah. What qualifies him to make that decision? There is a technical term for it, and it's called pussy. Yes. Um, Yes. uh, I'm sorry. There's, you know, at some point, like we say, you know the other thing, though, too, that's worse than a bad cop or just about as bad? It's a fucking coward yeah. who throws – look, if you're a coward and you know you are, that's fine. Admit it. Get out of the business. Yeah. There was a story here a while back. I think I told you, Murph, uh, two officers that should have dropped a guy, a murder suspect, a guy who just shot and killed one or two people. Two officers confront him. They tried using their taser. He pointed a gun at him. They would not use lethal force, even though everything said they could. He that. ends up getting smoked, yeah, by another department. This guy could have gone off and killed some people. And so mm-hmm. both of these guys resign. They say, hey, we're not cut out for this. How the fuck did you get the job in the first place? Who was on your interview board? Did you not pass the psychological? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody wants to do this. All those people say you just wanted to become a cop because you want to shoot people. No, you know, there people go through their careers, never fire their weapon, you know, and there's some you know, people who are involved in things. I was a cop for 38 years. I've known cops all around the world. I haven't met a single one yet that became a law enforcement professional yep. because they wanted to kill somebody. No, not at all. Outrageous. And then there's one more guy we got to talk about, Carl Price, former prosecutor. And I take this out of quote, do not, (laughs) I can't believe he said this, that you guys do not have the unfettered discretion and unlimited opportunity to shoot at someone just because they shot at you. What are you supposed to do? Apologize to them? You know, Carl used to be a prosecutor and he was a very good one. Um, He was over the backfire cases, which dealt with guns. That was the national backfire uh, thing they had where if if any gun cases that came to court went through him and he would hammer people and everybody enjoyed getting him as your prosecutor because he wasn't scared to go after him. But since he's gone into private practice, he did what they all do and has to keep his clientele base happy because none of us could get attorneys in town. We reached out to the best of the best in town and got denied, 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 denied. I finally had one attorney tell me the truth, which I knew the truth going in. But one had the balls to tell me the truth and said, John, I want to take your case, but it will ruin my business. My son's getting out of law school. He's got my name. You know who we cater to. You know who our clients are. If I take you on, my business is done. You know, and as much as you hate that he's saying that, you you kind of respect the guy I because he was the hell out of him for it. Yeah, I told him that. I said, "Thank you. You're the only one that's told me the truth. I knew the truth, but I was waiting for somebody to tell me." Let's go. Let's go back to the 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 night though, because I want to ask a question. Yeah. In terms of Brianna Taylor and her death, was anybody ever criminally charged or convicted of that? No. What does that tell you? that they were looking for any peripheral thing just so they could say they did something. And that's why they're going back after Brett again. They just want to say they did something to somebody on scene 
regardless of what the guys did to get the warrant, regardless of all that other stuff. All, all I'm saying noise. is with everything stacked against you, the fact that between the city, the state, or the feds, that nobody has been charged or convicted in her death, as unfortunate as it is, because it's unfortunate because she she wasn't the problem here. You know, it was Wallace. But again, well, my point is what I'm saying. What does that tell you? It means it's a tragedy. That, it wasn't criminal. It was a tragedy. Right. It was a tragedy. And that's the point. It wasn't criminal. When you can factor everything in, the use of force, the use of self-defense was justified in the law. And you know and I know, um, if they could have come up with a way because of the way the the politics were, if there was a way to charge somebody, they would have done it by now. Right. 100%. Yeah. And they're still – I still think personally they're headhunting for something. Um, But, you know, maybe it's just my paranoia kicking in. You know, it's it's a shame that the attorneys that that come and really stir the pot, that make false accusations, you know, who have are members. I'm I'm assuming of the American Bar Association, who are supposed to be ruled by uh, credible ethics, come out and make these false claims, knowingly making the false claims, just incite people into having violent protests and so forth. It's a shame that they can't be held accountable. Um, this, and I'm specifically talking about Sam Aguirre, Aguiar, Aguiar. I think, and Ben Crump, um, just knowing them making these false statements. And, and Ben Crump even coming out in the Washington Post saying that he called every black female of influence that he knew, including Tiffany Haddish, who I had to look up. I've never heard of. <laughs> I guess she's a comedian. And Senator Kamala Harris in an effort to get the word out and sway public opinion. Oh, my God. Isn't that a violation of your ethics? Well, you know, I, I watched a documentary before any of this happened, and it's funny how it's so true in real life. It was about court cases and, and lawyers, and these were these top ones around the nation. And they said, we don't win cases in court anymore. We win them in, in the public before the trial even starts. Absolutely That's how we right. win cases. And so that was my point in coming out, writing the book. That was my point in starting getting on these podcasts, blasting it back before any of these decisions came out, because I thought if I can influence one person with the truth on one of these juries that one of us is going to get, then that'll help. And if that can make a difference, that's what I wanted to do. Give me the heat. Give me the, the scrap and all the people are going to yell at me and say I'm this and I'm that. Whatever. I can take it. But I, I don't want to see these guys get taken down unjustly. Well, let's let's be clear about something, too, because you did write a book, 12 Seconds in the Dark. You know, your book even though it's on Amazon, people can find it. You got your book got turned down by some other publishers. There were some other people that decided to censor you. Uh, yes. Censor is an official kind of government word, but they decided they declined to publish you because a friend of mine, uh, who's a radio personality out here, and him and I have done some stuff on the news together. He he actually has a perfect saying for this. He says the media has the most insidious power there is, and it's the power to ignore. Mm-hmm. People think it's the power to promote. No, it's the power to ignore. They can ignore you. And they attempted to ignore you and your story by, uh, by uh, you know, advocating not publishing your book. Yeah. Yeah. Simon & Schuster was the one. I, I found a publisher uh, who was willing to do it. It was a smaller publisher out of Nashville, uh, Post Hill Press. Anthony Zaccardi's the owner there. Super great guy. <clears throat> but his only resource of getting books out is through Simon & Schuster as the distributor. And once they cut him off and said, nope, not happening, not doing it, not putting it on Amazon, we're not printing it, we're not doing anything, he was stuck, and he felt horrible. And I, I still appreciate him. I like him because he hooked me up. Um, I had a couple other people wanting wanting the rights to it. We went with Daily Wire because I thought 
if Amazon shuts us down or if anybody else, at least they have some outlets to get it out. Doesn't mean I agree with everything they do or say either, but at least they have outlets to get it out. Because since then, I've had major right-wing or conservative people and stations that won't touch this, that said all the stuff before until the truth came out, and they won't touch me now. And that was with Ben Shapiro's crew asking them, do, do us a favor. We do, you know, they, they, they do this back and forth all the time with each other, helping each other out. And when, even through their requests several times, they were, they were denied because they just didn't want to touch it. But you're saying it, but Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire folks are the ones who publish this? Yes. You know who else he's picked up to that got canceled by um, Hollywood? Was it Josh Holly? Uh, Gina Cafaro. She oh, yeah. was in, she was in the Mandalorian. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, it's one of those things, I, you know, and people are going to say, well, Ben's right wing. He's this, he's that. You know what? I think we've lost the ability in this country to to have a conversation, to have uncomfortable conversations and have divergent points of view. And still, when you get done, be a friend, go out and have a cup of coffee or a beer, you know, or a drink or go to dinner and stuff. Uh, you know, Steve and I have talked about this. We both have friends that are as far one side of the spectrum as we are politically. But you know what? I'm in fact, I'll be calling one of these guys. He's actually going to, I'm having him do some legal work for things that I'm doing. Why? Cause this guy as, as different as we are politically, he is the city attorney for the city of New Haven. He defends cops on a regular basis. And he takes great pride in doing that because he takes pride in his profession as an attorney. I have an obligation to represent my client. And I go back to what happened to the days of where the ACLU would defend the right of the KKK to march. Right. It is abhorrent as it is, as as stupid as it is, and these guys got some stupid points of view. But isn't that the whole point? The point of free speech is to have the type of speech that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, and that, that's what we've lost in this country is is the discourse or the the back and forth. Uh, or we can't have that anymore because then you're labeled a racist, a homophobe, anything that if you've got something different than what they say. Well, and and social media has gotten it to the point where uh, who was it? Uh, Michael Tyson said all that all that social media does is is uh give people a platform to talk about when they what they really need is to be punched in the mouth. Yeah. I mean, go true. have a one-on-one conversation with people. And towards the end of your book, <clears throat> I kind of like the way you finished it up with a quote from Patrick Henry. United we stand, divided we fall. And that's what all this rhetoric is doing is dividing us as a country. That's all they're doing. Hey, um, a couple of things I want to close out on, too, or tie off on before we, we talk about what's happening with you right now. Um, which officer was it determined to have fired the shot that killed Brianna? Uh, to the best of their ability, they said it was Miles. Miles Cosgrove. All right. And um, Miles was the one that gave you covering fire, right? Correct. They think I, uh, according to what I could get from the report, what my attorney thinks is I only struck her one time. Okay. Uh, but my point is, even though she was struck by two different officers, neither one of you have been charged in the death of Breonna Taylor, correct? Correct. Correct. I, I mean, you can say, you can have all the narratives you want, but at the end of the day, this speaks volumes. In other words, if there was a there there, is there any doubt in your mind you guys would have been indicted by now and prosecuted? Oh, we would have been paraded across the national stage and and they would have been applauding themselves and breaking their arm, patting themselves on the back. So yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. Again, I go back to you talk about some of the things that were going on, like uh, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, Officer Wilson, you know, the fiction of hands up, don't shoot. It was Eric Holder, Obama's DOJ, you know, AG. They came out and they vindicated the officer. Why? Because 
everybody's popular narrative was he was the gentle giant, hands up, don't shoot. Even Eric Holder and Obama's own DOJ said that's not what happened. Once the, the point is, once you get the facts and the facts don't fit the narrative, people want to change the facts. Well, that's not the way it works in an investigation. If the facts don't fit the theory, you change the theory. You don't change the facts. Right. And I told the DOJ when I when I had to meet with them, I said, I think what you're doing is very unethical because your boss, which is Kristen Clark, who's over the Civil Rights Division, she got on Twitter saying we were guilty and we, should, we need to go to prison and all this stuff. I said, how is that not a conflict of interest? I said, any other case in court, if the person prosecuting you or going after you had that predetermined before they knew any of the facts and still were going after you, there would be an issue. But here it just gets whitewashed and no big deal. Just just let it go. Right. Right. You know what? And another thing that we talk about on here, Morgan, I, I've got a long list here of names that were celebrities that jumped on board to, to you know, go against you guys. And we, we promote the common sense theory here. Just look at look at the situation. Does it make sense that a group of police officers in Louisville would knowingly and intentionally go to an apartment to kill this lady? <laughs> without looking at the facts behind it. And all these people are willing to believe the most outrageous stories because it's so much easier to believe what somebody else is saying versus maybe do a little research do on your research. own and find out what the true story is here. And that's the whole point of bringing John on our show today is, you know, we promote law enforcement in the most positive light. We've never had, as terrible as this is for you and your family, we've never had an opportunity to bring an officer on that had to go through this type of misery simply because he did his did job, job and damn near died doing your job. The, the, the position of the politicians that they've taken on this, it's, it, man, if you can't see that all they're doing is trying to get the popular vote because this is what the popular opinion is, facts be damned. It's like, it's like making when we made narcos in Hollywood. They certainly didn't let the truth get in the way of telling a good story, <laughs> did they? And that's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, Murph, I'm still waiting for the DOJ investigation of you and Javier throwing that guy out of the helicopter. Well, I'm, you're saying that like it's a bad thing, Morgan. I mean, <laughs> come on now. It's a, it's a joke, everybody. So. It's a joke. It's a joke. It never <laughs> it happened. It happen. only happened on the screen. Um, but let's go back and talk a little bit about you uh, here for a second, uh, Sargento. Um, it has not been the easiest time. I want to talk a little bit, though, too. You you had a set of balls, uh, and I'm going to give you credit for something because not a lot of people would go on a major network to be interviewed about this, knowing that these guys are going to have all these people doing research and they're going to try and sandbag you and they're going to try and surprise you and do one of these aha things. So let's talk about why did you consent to being interviewed by Michael Strahan on ABC? Well, I wanted the truth out, period. That was it. Um, and... If I had it to do over again, I would have done the main thing I would have done different if I didn't choose a different outlet is I would have made them do it live, do a live interview so they couldn't cut it up. We talked for three and a half hours straight and zero break. It was just like here. You and I, as long as we've talked, this is how it went. No stopping, no anything. And they we cut out the parts they wanted to frame a narrative. Oh, they played like five minutes of three and a half hours. And, you know, I remember on some of the thing, Michael, Michael using terms like, yeah, but we just think y'all profile. That's that's just how I feel. And I said, well, it doesn't matter how you feel, Michael. You know this, this, but it's my truth. I went, great, but it's not the truth. 
I said, the truth is the only thing that matters here. Not what you feel, not what you think is your truth. I said, my kids think their truth is they need that candy before dinner, but it's not happening. So what's the difference? You know, just because you've got this emotional attachment to something you believe really happened doesn't make it true. And, uh, you know, they couldn't come back with a lot of answers. There was a lot of back and forth that I wish were out there. Uh, that they could have heard because it would have given, number one, it would have painted me in a different picture because there was a lot, when it was over, and I'm going to bust Michael out here, when it was over, he came to me and he said, man, I like you. Even if you are a Cowboys fan, I like you. And then the very next day, I've seen, you know, 10 hours later, just destroying me and bashing me. And I'm like, man, you're, you're a coward. That's what he is. He's a coward. Yeah. Which is, and, and I'll tell you, I was a Michael Strahan fan before I read your book. Uh, it was very disappointing to hear that. He was a nice guy. And I get why he did what he did. You know, you're right in the middle of this, this 2020 where everything blew up. If he had said, you know, I talked to him for three and a half hours and he's actually a decent guy. They'd, he'd have lost his job. He'd have got canceled. And that doesn't make it right. That doesn't give an excuse to him. But I'm saying, logically, I can look back and go, this is why, why doesn't somebody did. have the balls to just say it like it is? I mean, he's got enough money. He doesn't need any more money. They why never have he... enough money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, I, I'll take half of what or he greedy. has and I'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I we've kind of gone on with this because we said we told you we were going to start off the new year with the bang. And this is the one we're starting off with because I think we wanted to talk about cases that had a impact on the nation cases that had an impact. And what I have found out from listening to you, uh, you know, and obviously Murph's done some research too. When we look at this, what is portrayed out there versus what the facts say, a lot of people could come to the same logical conclusion. That's why I keep asking, what does that tell you? You weren't indicted. You weren't charged. Nobody was charged in their death. What does that mean? The death, while it was a tragedy, was not criminal. You cannot charge somebody for a tragedy. You can only charge them for a crime. Right. Right. Yeah, that's the way it is. And then, you know, they're going to twist it any way they can to make these other issues, you know, the gotcha moment. And unfortunately, it's going to stick with people because they're so used to, you know, nowadays with all the uh, uh, reality TV and, and how everything's got to be juiced up and exciting and spicy, then, you know, that's the way they're going to play it out and still make us look out to be villains. But we know the truth. Well, they, you know, and, and uh, our listeners, our regular listeners have heard us say this before. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us here. And, and Javier and I, my, part, my old DEA partner, we preach this at all the shows we do. Don't let anybody else tell you what to think. When there's an issue on the table, do your research. Don't accept because somebody's famous. That doesn't mean that they have all the inside information. One of the biggest people that came out against you that, that I want to say I was shocked, but I really wasn't, was Oprah. Yeah. Came out promoting and putting up, you know, paying her magazine is promoting it and putting up billboards and they put uh, Brianna Taylor on the front of her magazine and and all those things. When none of that was true, most of that was not, you know, hell, none of it was true. They just don't know the facts. So don't let other people lead you around by the nose. We're all intelligent enough to make our own decisions and decide what we think. Just because a famous person, whether it's a movie star, a musician, a sports figure. Uh, I saw where the University of Louisville basketball team, out, a team that you supported all these years growing up, came out and marched against you guys. Right. Make up, go do your freaking research. Use the brain that God gave you and come up with a reasonable decision. Employ the common sense factor and then you decide what's right and what's wrong. Well, people don't, don't want to do this because they've out. gotten lazy. They want somebody to give them their opinion. That's why I never subscribe to any of these newsletters. Say, we'll tell you what the news is every morning. Just yeah. sign up for this here. 
up, up yours. You know, I, I don't need that. Let's talk about you, though, for a second, John. Let's finish this out by talking about what you've gone through now since this has gone on. I mean, ever since you had to take your family into hiding, what's that been like since then? Um, it's It's been totally life-changing. So we we had just bought this house that we looked for because it was right in the crazy market. Um, <clears throat> we just bought it and we lived in it for five weeks and we got moved out of it. We never moved back into it. We ended up having to sell it, lost a little money on it. Um, bounced around for, I think we lived in five different places over a year and a half before we got our own place. Um, so it's been, it's been challenging. Um, you know, what I, what I tell when I, when I travel around to speak to these other officers is that as police, we become kind of calloused to threats and callous to violence and, and all this, but our families aren't. This is all new to them. And you go from from living your normal life to being uprooted, threatened. Um, and these are real threats, not just some some BS in passing threat. And that puts them in shell shock. That affects them. My kid was my youngest kid was five at the time. And he still has nightmares waking up thinking, saying, I thought they were going to come kill us. And that's the part that's gut-wrenching. That's the part where you feel as a parent like, I can't protect my kids, not just physically, but but emotionally too. And so that's been the toughest part, I think, of all of it. You know, I, I got to throw one more person under the bus here. All right. Chanel Helm with Black Lives <laughs> Matter Louisville. Yeah. She's the one that posted all of your addresses, phone numbers, and email addresses of all the officers involved in this. She's the one that doxed all you guys. But lo and behold, somebody puts out her phone number uh, so, so that they could get something done. And all of a sudden, she's got a problem with that. Yeah, she said it put a, it put a uh, what, what was the wording she used? She said that this threatens my family. It puts threats on me or it's dangerous for us. How, more, know, how, how much more hypocritical that? could you be? Yeah. I mean, what a, what a two-faced, mm-mm-mm. Okay, I'm fine. I'm tired of bitching okay, about okay. this. Well, now, <laughs> I just want people to understand the impact. I mean, um, yeah. to this day, um, are you still receiving what you consider to be credible threats against you and your family? I don't know about credible because, like I said, we have there's been nobody following. So you know, Brianna Taylor's family got almost twenty million dollars total. It's it's a lot easier to take a good hit out on somebody when you've got money as opposed to when you don't. So the, the, the fear of that unknown, that's the key. That's the thing. Are they being patient or have they wiped their hands of it? Are they, have they moved on? Nobody knows because nobody's tracked their finances. Nobody's tracked their movements. Nobody's tracked their calls, any of that. So we don't know about the credible threats. There's still plenty of times where a weird car will come by our house. We're, we're far away. And so, but there's still times where, Something will be suspicious or crazy, and your mind automatically goes into that hypervigilant mode of protection and of, hey, back up. Let's not do that. Let's not go here. Um, you know, the ability to just be go to my own hometown that I, I grew up in and lived my whole life and walk around the mall with my family, that's pretty much done. So there's just all these peripheral things other than just a threat. Those threats have caused a ripple effect out. Uh, that are, that have just changed our lives in so many ways. What for a five-year-old to be affected by that? Shame on all these jackasses that are doing it. 
Well, they do it because they know in the current environment they can get away with it and that there's yeah. no accountability for it. Right. Um, the minute there's accountability for it, the minute you get somebody in a position that says, look, right, left, middle, doesn't matter to me. The law's the law. The facts are the facts. It's like, can you imagine going into a hospital and a doctor? It's like Reagan joked, you know, when he was shot, he said, I hope you all are Republicans. But real doctors, people who are compassionate about what they do, they don't care in fact, they don't care if you're a victim or a suspect or whatever else. They care because you're a human, you're a human life, and that's what you take an oath to do is to protect life. First rule, the Hippocratic Oath, you know, doctor, do no harm. So let's, but I want to kind of finish up talking about you, you have now been going out and talking. What, when you have these interviews, whether it's with the media or whether it's with these groups or you're talking to cops, where does that paradigm shift happen for them? What When do they kind of reach that aha moment that go, what we've been told is not what the real truth is? It doesn't take long uh, because from the very beginning, you know, you, you know, those very early things, once you start getting into the meat and potatoes of the warrant and what happened that night, um, because everybody has it stuck in their head that she was asleep in bed, we were at the wrong house, all those really easy things. Um, but I think the aha moment doesn't happen then with officers anyway, maybe with media. The aha moment happens to these officers when I tell them the betrayal of the department and the city and what they need to watch out for and the way they need to protect themselves and cover their, their assets. Um, I think that's when that light bulb comes on and goes, holy crap, this could be me. And that's the whole point of this. I go out and tell them, this could be you. Here's what you got to do to protect yourself. Here's some steps you can take to avoid some of the pitfalls uh, that I went through. So um, what when what are a couple of people's advice? What can we have a lot of cops that listen to this? A lot of yeah. people who are in law enforcement or going into law enforcement. What's your what's your parting advice? Man, I would I would put your stuff in a, in a revocable trust. That way, it's very hard to find your location. It's hard to get doxxed. I use Officer Privacy, OfficerPrivacy.com. I use him. Uh, great. He's a little more expensive than the others, but still, it's only twenty bucks a month. But it's it's. The way they do it, it's a former officer, retired cop who started this, and he knows what to look for. He knows what's important to police, and um, and he's one that that I've just kind of taken to. I don't get anything from him, but I promote him everywhere I go because I think it's important for these guys to have their information scrubbed off the internet. Um, because the harder you make it for these people, the easier it is on you. And those are two of the main things. Then I say, once you go through one of these issues, you treat this like your own case file because you are your own best advocate. Nobody's going to fight for you like you fight for you. And unfortunately, what we do when we go out here, we protect lives. We fight people we don't know. We're willing to die for people. But then when we get accused of something, when they're attacking us off the street, when they're attacking us administratively, what do we do? We cower down. We don't know what to do. No, that's when you've got to be proactive. That's when you've got to get your side out because nobody's going to push for you like you. And I think that's important. Um, document everything. And they've got to document, document, because your administrators will lie to you. Your courts will lie to you. And if you have all this documented, if your state allows you to to do the the one-person recording, I recorded everything. So I've got stuff that, that, that I've had people in a corner because I'm like, no, this is what you said. And um, – so I just advise them to be their own best advocate. You got to fight for what you believe in and take your family's, take your family's mental health into consideration. That's the huge thing. Guys are scared to get help. But like I said earlier, your families haven't been through this stuff and you probably haven't been through this stuff as a person. So you probably need some mental health too. go talk to a counselor, get some help. Don't, don't just cower up and go in a ball. I tell you what, man, it's, <clears throat> it's been an honor 
having you here on the show. You know, we absolutely wanted to show your or have you tell your side of the story so we can get all the truth out there rather than all this rhetoric that people are making up. But what you what you sacrifice for your community, first of all, and the sacrifices that your family have made, nobody should have to ever go through that. So, yep. you know, we, it's easy to throw that word hero around here for somebody to put up with the crap that you do and still have uh, the positive attitude that you have, to be quite honest with you. I think a lot of that has to do with your, your Christian upbringing. Uh, my dad was a pastor also, so we have that in common. And, and uh, you know, we blew it, grew up in kind of uh, strict households, but it instilled a sense of values and a sense of honor and a sense of oath loyalty and, and taking an oath and living up to that oath. Uh, we got to throw out a, a shout out to Wayne Stinnette with a police officer in Oklahoma that made the introduction between you and I. Wayne has, uh, has done the guy. same with a couple other folks that we're, we've already had on the show and some that we're going to have in the future. So thank you, Wayne, for this introduction. I think I'm starting to lose my voice here. Good Lord. You are. We're all both hawking up logs. I'm gonna, know. We're going to be talking like Dan Murphy's captain. Oh, go fuck <laughs> you got to listen yeah. to that episode. It's out this week um, or out uh, the uh, first week of uh, uh, last week of uh, November. It's out right now as we talk about this. Hey, I want to ask you one final question before we close this up. Even in your darkest days, you talk about getting mental health. Even in your darkest days, did you ever consider hurting yourself? No. Why not? Good. I just, well, my family, number one, why why would I do that to them? Um, But I just, I have more respect for human life than that. And, you know, there's a greater reason we're here and it's not just to make money. It's not just to have fun. And, you know, I, I want to capitalize on that as much as I can and not throw it away. So if people would like to book you, have you talk, um, what's the easiest way for everybody to find you and get a hold of you? Just my email, john at sergeantmattingly.com. And sergeant's just SGT. So it's john at SGT Mattingly, M-A-T-T-I-N-G-L-Y.com. Uh, we'll have that on our website, too. And I want to remind people, you can go find this book on uh, Amazon and some other places, but it's called 12 Seconds in the Dark, A Police Officer's Firsthand Account of the Brianna Taylor Raid. And, you know, I know we'll get some grief for this because we always do, because when you do something controversial, but mm-hmm. if people will sit back and just take it with an open mind and say, what did you learn today that you did not know prior to this podcast? What can you do now to use this information to change how you view the narrative that has been given to you before? And is it accurate or not? Sometimes the narrative is correct. Sometimes it's not. The, the bad problem about social media and media is it's all about shaping the narrative. It's about getting, like you say, getting the narrative out first. So I think your ideas about doing that, you know, being your own advocate. We've got to have more people do that. Yeah, you guys can't, you can't go into Bucker mentality when stuff's happening. You've got to advocate for yourself and for your fellow cops that are out there. And our listeners know that, that we will call bullshit oh, yeah. on, on police officers that, that do wrong. That's not one of the case. This is not the case here. We have intentionally, Murph, and you know who I'm talking about too. There's been a couple we will never allow to be on this podcast right? because they were pieces of shit. They, they soiled their badge. They disgraced the profession. No way we would ever give those guys an audience, not even to hear from them or say, well, what lesson can we learn? Because when you meet them and talk with them, they, uh, we had one guy go, I'm podcast gold. What do you mean? And then he goes on to talk about how he sold drugs for and ran interference for a cartel organization and went to prison for 12 years. Yeah. You're not making it on this podcast, pal. But anyway, uh, let's close out by saying, Hey, first of all, you guys stay safe. Obviously, watch your back, you know, watch your six. Anything we can ever do for you, you know, 
do not hesitate to reach out and let us know. Uh, we'll put your book up on our book page. Again, 12 Seconds in the Dark, a police officer's firsthand account of the Breonna Taylor raid. This is your chance to get the facts. And if you guys have a discussion issue, you guys know how to reach us. Go to, you know, go to our web or go to our uh, fan page and go to our group and put your comments there. We'll engage with you on discussions. Just one rule. Keep it civil. If you think we're wrong, then tell us how we're wrong. If you think we're right, then, you know, tell us how we're right. But do not get into name calling or digressing. I, I just, it's not that we'll nuke you. I'm not going to just respond to it. All right. All right. There you go. So, hey, thank you guys. Once again, don't go anywhere. Um, you guys hang on for just a second. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. I'm telling you, if your mind isn't changed by this, uh, if if you haven't seen how a narrative is constructed by the media mm -hmm. and perpetrated, um, I, I can't help you. We have to we have to get back to the point, Steve, where we critically think to where we make our own decisions, we gather additional facts, but simply relying on a news outlet to give you the information and saying that must be true. Every news outlet uh, doesn't matter, liberal, conservative, and in the middle, they have a point of view, and that point of view comes across in the way they report things. So to hear it. Here's, here's the thing I took away from this. After all of this stuff done, John Mattingly, like you say, the only person other than Breonna, Breonna Taylor was killed. That's tragic. But you know who's responsible for it? The piece of shit behind her that fired the shot at the cops. Yep, exactly. That's, that's who responsible for starting all of this that went on. And he lied about what he said he did. He didn't help her out. And this douchebag is on the phone two days later after his, quote, girlfriend, the one he cared about so much that he laid her on the ground that he was tending to her already having phone sex from the jail two days later. Oh, it's just horrible. It's horrible. And, and the things that John Mattingly's family has had to suffer through, grown individuals, the accusations of racism, which I think if you listen to his story, have been put to rest. You know, there were oh, special let's, interest let's groups. Put a, let's, put a fine, let's put a finer point on that, Murph. Tell them. I mean, let's people heard, but let's let's put a fine point on it. Well, and it's, I love it because they say, and I love it because of my own personal story, but, you know, they're saying, oh, this is all racially motivated. Well, let's see, who is John's um, son-in-law? He's that, black. That his daughter uh, dated throughout high school, and now they're married, and they have two children, two Since biracial children. Since she was 13? Yep. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're calling this guy racist when he has a black son-in-law kind of you know, counter counteracts that accusation. And I say it's similar to my personal situation because I've been accused of going after Hispanic people when I was a police officer, because that was a racial issue. People not knowing that my two daughters are Colombian immigrants, that we adopted them from Colombia and they're now U S citizens. So it just, it shows you where people will say any freaking thing that comes to their mind to try to support their little thing. The special interest groups involved in this, the potential assaults on the family by uh, motorcycle gangs, uh, I mean, just you got to listen to everything, but this all goes back to what you've heard us say time and time again to our, our regular listeners is don't believe what the media tells you. Do not accept what they tell you is, is 100% truth. It's not like the old days where you had Walter Cronkite got on there and just would tell you the story. And then you made up your own mind what you thought the outcome was. They try to lead us on to believing what they say. They will. We all know that they will sensationalize any story because the bottom line is they're trying to get more viewers, which leads to more advertisers, which leads to more money in their profit margin. So our challenge, Javier and I say this at every presentation we do around the world, we say it here on the podcast with Martin Morgan, is when you hear a story, 
Don't let them tell you what to think. Go do your own research, and then you make the determination as to what really happened. No I, better, no better proof than than an interview with John Mattingly. No, and I think well, that's one of the things that we have. Look, we we looked at cutting things back. People said they wanted longer. Why? Because we wrote, this way we get into the details. And I think right. will we become the largest podcast on the internet? No, we're, we're comfortable knowing that's not going to be the case. But I'll tell you what. Compared to all the other true quote true crime podcasts that are out there, everybody else is repeating stories. Um, very few, if any, and I could probably count on one hand, maybe three fingers, the number of podcasts who actually go out and interview mm -hmm. the people involved in the actual events. So if you want first person to now, you may say I don't believe him. That's okay. You may not don't yeah. don't take anything we say as a fact. Right. Nothing we say is a fact. It's an opinion. We simply we have an opinion based upon what we've heard. But when you hear John talk, and to me the the biggest thing is the way he got thrown under the bus um, and he got targeted. But here's a guy. As we asked him, have you ever been charged with anything? Nope. Indicted for anything? Nope. Federal, state, local? Nope. Civil rights charges? Nope. Nothing John did. Nothing has risen to the level, and this is with a Department of Justice that is favorable to indicting police officers mm. for if, if they can, right? Yep. He has passed that kind of scrutiny, but yet who's the one that's living? Um, you know, basically you have to watch 360, what's going on, watch his back every day. Who's the one that had to pick up his family after only being in their home for five weeks and move? You know, I don't know if we mentioned this, but and just so, so you know, for our listeners, when we interview a guest, if they don't have a good quality microphone and headset, we send them the equipment and it's theirs to keep. When I sent them to John, I had to send it to an address where he doesn't live. He and I don't really know each other before we did the podcast together. That's the level of security he has to go to where he can't even tell a brother law enforcement officer what his real address is. And I would not ask. Nope. But that's that's what the guy's suffering through still to this day. Well, and I actually went back and edited out a part where he said something that would have narrowed down a mm -hmm. radius, let's put it that way. And I went through it. And after we said that, I said, no, look, I'll take it out. So I took it out. Um, and because we don't want to give anybody any idea where he's at. And how how terrible is that? Yeah. How terrible is that? Is that you have to live that way and you did nothing wrong. And all because he was trying to help his own community as a public servant in the police department. If you get a chance, check out his book, 12 Seconds in the Dark. I got it on Amazon in the Kindle version. Uh, it's an excellent read. Sergeant John Mattingly, obviously that's up on our website, 12 Seconds in the Dark. This is the real story behind what happened. I mean, his according, it's his, but he's, he also has access to documents, other things. There's proof into what, it's not just, hey, here's what I said. Here's things that back up what I said too. It's a tragedy that Breonna Taylor is no longer with us. This is certainly not an assault against her. Uh, we just want you to know what the truth is. It was needless. Her death was needless because of a spineless coward that she was dating at the time. Yep. Had he not pulled the trigger, this is my this is my belief. Had he not pulled the trigger, everybody would have walked away alive yep. and unscathed that night. Absolutely. All right. Well, that brings an end. So let's bring this episode to an end. Again, we just got to tell you guys, thanks for allowing us just to, you know, talk about this a little bit, because I think part of the thing that makes this podcast different is we get into the issues. I mean, we actually talk about what's going on and we don't, I mean, look, we call out bullshit when we hear it. If it's not the right yep. thing, we call it out, but it's hard to listen to the story and not be affected by it, by everybody, right? Nobody, nobody needs to die. Right. And you we've know, got our next guest, <laughs> another controversial topic. You got to tune in next week to hear what the next one is. And look, this is, again, this is involves 
anyway, let's save it for next week. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So anyway, guys, but hey, guys, if you like this, head on over to Apple and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Also, head on over to Game of Crimes podcast. More information about the show. We also put the book there. Follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go hit our Facebook fan group. Just type in Game of Crimes fans. You'll bring up the fan page or fan group, and uh, Sandy Salvato will give you entrance as long as you just even get close on a couple questions, right? So, And then the final thing, uh, where do I have to be? Where do you need to be? Where do we all need to be? You need to be on Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Got a lot of great look. We 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 go to a lot of extent to provide a lot of different types of content. I think we provide seven to eight different things per month, depending on what level you're at. But we provide seven to eight different things per month. And guys, we we put a lot of heart into this too. Uh, we're not. Hey, look, we're not the pros like some of the other ones you might listen to. But let me tell you what: you will hear stuff you will never hear anywhere else. You will be challenged in a way you've never been challenged anywhere else. And guess what? You're going to have fun like you don't have anywhere else. I mean, this is like Disney. <laughs> the, 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 the unwoke version of Disney. I'm just talking about the good old days of Disney where you went there and you rode rides, you ate too much and you threw up at the end. And Hey, I'm in Orlando. So I mean, it's, it's the happiest place in the freaking world, right? The happiest place in the world. All right, guys. Well, thank you once again, guys. We appreciate it. Thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the original unadulterated game of crimes. Mm-hmm.